In our first session this morning, we're thinking about God's big, eternal and cosmic plan fulfilled in Jesus, the one risen and exalted above all things and through the church, the fullness of the one who fills all in every way. I hope it wasn't too overwhelming or or confusing. I hope actually it was quite exciting uh, to see that God is doing something so wonderful uh, through history, to see that the, the church is such an integral part of that plan. Uh, It means that what we're involved in here, even, is something beyond our imaginations. But then even as I say these things, and and maybe you were thinking this this morning, perhaps you have questions or doubts that start to emerge. Because to to use that sort of language, that cosmic, eternal uh, language, in in many ways doesn't doesn't quite fit with our experience of church now. To talk of church as reigning over all things, as the supreme focus of history, as the reason the world is still here, it just doesn't seem to fit with what churches are like on the ground, does it? Don't, don't get me wrong, I love my church and, and you seem like a wonderful bunch too, but I don't look around at Christchurch Kensington or, with all due respect, Christchurch Ellsfield and think rulers of all creation or, or even future rulers of all creation. Because numerically, churches feel small, don't they? We, we are a drop uh, in the ocean, or even of West and Southwest London. Think of all the millions uh, in our city, or the billions in the world. It's, it's hard then to see how the church could be such a, a part of such a massive plan. Hard to believe it. And it's not just a, a, a numerical disparity. Uh, even in terms of power and potential, we don't seem to be where it's at There are other people or other institutions in the world that seem to be much more on a trajectory to have power and rule uh, over the world. And so Christians can start to feel a bit like those contestants on the X Factor. You know, the ones who who come on stage and Simon Cowell asks a ridiculous question like, um, where do you see your music career going uh, over the next uh, few years and how big do you want to be? And they they come up with these ridiculous answers like, I want to be bigger than Madonna. Or bigger than the Beatles, and you think this person's slightly unhinged. Uh, and, and then they open their mouths, and you realise it's even worse because they're tone deaf, and, and you think it's just, this is utter madness. You've got this crazy global ambition on one hand and pitiful raw materials uh, on the other, and it's never going to happen. Of course it's not. And it can feel a bit like that with the church, can't it? We get all dreamy and inspired as we think about God's plan. But then we open our eyes and and, and look around the room and we think, well, how on earth can that be true for us? And why is it not the case with with the church that we are being as ridiculous as that contestant on the X Factor? That this extraordinary cosmic plan in which the the church will reign with Jesus over all things, bigger than Madonna, bigger than the Beatles. um, That is not a ridiculous thing to believe. How do we... Uh, find our way through that question well part of the answer is this that we need to understand the difference between uh, the church and our church between the universal church uh, and the local church it's a really important uh, distinction and, and again this is probably not uh, not new thing to many of you but it's worth trying to get clear in our minds so Ephesians 1 verse 22 told us that Jesus was given as head over all things to the church which is his body. And that is a reference there to what is often called the universal church. That is every redeemed person throughout all of history who's turned and trusted in Christ. The the crowd of millions and millions and millions who one day will worship together 
in the new creation. Christians from every age and every place. Or to give another example, when Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was talking about his entire church through history. Because there are some churches that shut down and and close down for various reasons, but the entire church through history marches on uh, indestructibly. But the word church, so the word church can have this big universal sense, but it is also used in a different sense uh, in the New Testament as well. So in Acts 14, we read that Paul and Barnabas reached Antioch, and it says this, when they had gathered the church together, they told them all that God had done through them uh, among the Gentiles. That doesn't mean that Paul and Barnabas get to Antioch and somehow gather every believer from every age uh, and every uh, country. Um, we weren't there for a start. But they gathered the believers who were there in Antioch, the local believers, uh, the local church. Or another example, the beginning of uh, 1 Corinthians. It might be worth having a look at this one, actually, because it... Uh, It kind of has both ideas there. So the very beginning of 1 Corinthians. Paul writes, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. A really helpful description there. Notice different use of the word church. Uh, Again, the local church, the church of God that is in Corinth. But then he says, together with all saints everywhere else uh, who make up the entire church, the universal church. Um, I'm going to illustrate this by asking you to imagine a fictional situation. Imagine that I am a multi-millionaire. So in my several bank accounts, I suppose I would have, there are millions and millions of pounds. Now, if someone were to talk about Rob's money, they would be referring to the vast sums that make up my net worth. Uh, Rob's money is an impressive thing. I underline this is a fictional uh, situation. But but then in in my pocket, I have a few coins uh, which I can kind of spread around the room. So I have a, we got here a 20p, uh, got a 10p and a, a one pound coin. Now, if you were to ask, is that, are they Rob's money? then the answer is yes, that, that's Rob's money. It's just two, two different ways of using the phrase, my massive net worth on the one hand, or then uh, 20p on the other. And there are things which are true of my, all of my money, uh, which would be hard to believe if you just looked at the part of my money that's on the floor. If I, if I said I was going to buy a mansion in Earlsfield, it's not likely as you look down and say, well, the 20p is Rob's money. Um, good luck, good luck with that. Much more likely if you keep in mind the vast sums that are stashed away in Swiss bank accounts or whatever. And and so it is with with the church. God's church is that multitude that no man can number uh, over all of history, millions and millions and millions, all with Jesus uh, as their head. And they will rule, we will rule over all creation. But that does not look likely when you look at a little uh, group of 10 people over here or or 20 people over here or or what are we 50 60 people um, over here as you see but if you plug it back into the whole then suddenly those promises seem much more uh, believable sorry if that was old stuff to you but it really matters we're clear on that distinction because I think it it stops us from, from losing heart when we hear these promises and then think yeah but but church just feels small and and weak and insignificant 
it is perfectly possible, actually, for there to be massive cosmic plans, even though a local church feels so small and weak. And what's more, I think it helps us to value the local church in the right way, too. Um, Because each local church is precious and valuable. And we see that so much more clearly when when you plug a local church back in to the big entirety of God's universal church. And it's interesting when we uh, come to think about how we see that distinction um, in the passage I want to look at uh, in Ephesians. Uh, So please turn to Ephesians 4. And um, Ali's going to read 1 to 16 for us. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? It said that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thanks very much. Um, Something for you guys to think about then. A question, um, is this talking about the local church or the universal church, so perhaps in, in pairs where you're, where you're sat, um, with a, a warning, it may not be particularly easy to tell.
it be good to hear some of what you're thinking? What, what do you think then? Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, is this talking about uh, the local church or the universal church? What do you think? Okay. Great, so it's, yes. Brilliant, so as you look at the gifts, you wouldn't say if all of these gifts have been given to every church, but some of these gifts have been given to uh, every church. Other ideas? Yeah, we also thought both because the practical instructions are very much what you can only do within the context of the local church. So, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. So it's, it's quite hard to maintain unity with the universal church, isn't it, for us? So that's something that has to be going on within the local church. Um, yeah, um, brilliant. Um, building up the church is going to be something that's going on on both levels at the, at the local church, uh, in the universal church. Um, what I was really hoping that we would see is uh, this description of how the body grows, um, the, the universal church, this kind of cosmic uh, body growing, is, is not actually that different from how the local church grows. Um, they are one and the same, really, in terms of how it happens. This passage helps us connect the cosmic plan, which ends up with Jesus as the head of this church that's attained to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It it connects that big idea with actually life on the ground in a local church, the day-to-day life of Christ Church Ellsfield. What's going on among you guys is the same thing as what is growing the big universal church into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is how the risen and exalted Jesus intends to grow his church uh, on earth. It's through the work of uh, local churches. So I want to try and answer a couple of questions from this passage. First of all, how do churches grow? How does this growth happen? So really focusing on verse 7 onwards, where we see Jesus uh, giving gifts. Verse 11 Some of these things that um, Ellie was talking about. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How do churches grow? Well, here is the risen Jesus. He gives gifts to his church and the gifts, notice, are people. And the people are all connected with preaching and teaching his word. Apostles and prophets give us the word in the first place. Evangelists proclaim the word. Uh, shepherds and teachers, I think is better translated pastor teachers. That's one, uh, one job rather than two. The people who pastor his flock as they teach his word. So he have gifts who record, who proclaim, who teach God's word. That's Jesus' strategy for uh, establishing and building a church. And if we didn't read on here, we could very easily think, well, that's all set up then. Uh, Jesus has put things in place so that the church uh, will grow as these people teach God's words. 
But we need to see that's not actually how Paul carries on. And he puts this extra step in, uh, which we've missed out so far. Uh, again, to some of you, this will be old news, but I can still remember the first time I saw this for myself. And it, and it did transform the way I thought about church and my place uh, within it. So I hope you'll uh, excuse us going over this again. Verse 12 is the one I found so surprising. Uh, and one which even if we, if we do know it, we can so easily forget. Jesus gives these gifts, he gives these people to his church to equip the saints, that just means the Christians, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So who is it who does ministry? Everyone. Everyone. Every saint, every Christian. Who are the ministers in the church? All of us. Uh, all of us are engaged in the work of ministry. Uh, yes, there are people who are set apart for different jobs, Uh, We would have people in our church who are pastor teachers who have that role. But the the purpose of their job is to equip everyone to be engaged in ministry with one another. And that really did transform my understanding of church all those years ago. I had always thought it's the guy at the front who is the minister, who has the job of ministry. It's his job to lead and to build the church. But if we all do uh, ministry... That's a very different picture of how church works, isn't it? And the next obvious question, if this is something we're all supposed to be doing, then then we ask, well, what what is ministry then? If this is something we're all doing, um, what is it? And according to verse 12, it is building up the body of Christ. How do you build people up? A bit further on, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. What is ministry? Ministry is building the church. How do you build a church? Speaking the truth in love. And that is something everyone does. So if that's the how and the what of ministry, notice also the why of ministry. Why do you need to be built up? Why do we need to be building one another up? Um, What's the purpose? Um, Well, first of all, negatively, notice what happens if we don't build each other up. Verse 14 says, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Um, growing up in Portugal was a real uh, delight in lots of ways. Every summer we used to go a couple of hours north of Porto. My grandparents had a, a house by the beach there, and we would spend some a few lovely weeks there every year. Um, but every now and again, uh, perhaps once a summer, there would be a slightly less pleasant day on the beach when you'd hear the the whistles of the lifeguard or you would see a crowd gathering in certain part, uh, a certain part of the beach. Maybe a desperate mother has run uh, to the lifeguards. And then these crowds would gather looking out to sea because the sea on, on this beach had strong currents. And every now and again, someone would just get um, carried away in the currents uh, and they'd be powerless against the waves um, and uh, being carried further and further away. And it was a, a pretty scary situation. I, I guess as a child, it gave me a healthy respect uh, for the sea. Um, but it did give a sour taste on those uh, summer, summer days. Paul uses that kind of imagery here, doesn't he? He says, if we don't grow up spiritually, if we don't mature in our faith, we will be like little children. And this world, he says in spiritual terms, is not a safe place for little children. He says there are all sorts of lies out there, uh, these deceitful schemes, which Paul likens to waves and winds. And actually, maybe the picture of a, a nice sunny day at the beach is not, a right, is not the right one either. This is a storm uh, at sea, a toddler in a storm 
at sea. It's a, a scary picture, isn't it? And the greatest threat to you and me is not illness or poverty or, or Russia, whatever else we might think it is. The, the constant threat that surrounds us, according to Paul, is the threat of lies. Every wind of doctrine. Different versions of so-called truth, human cunning. Lies which will rip us away from, from Christ. Uh, lies that may often seem innocent in their packaging. But Paul here takes their mask off. They are stormy waters. They are strong winds that blow us uh, away from safety. And so he says the way to be safe in that world is to grow. Grow to maturity. You must grow to survive. But then his aim is even more ambitious than that, isn't it? It's not just survive. It is grow until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're back here into that sort of language that I don't quite understand. I can't quite get my, my head around it. You get the sense of the ideas. It sounds big. It sounds uh, amazing. Um, but it sounds an awful, like that, an awful lot like that final picture of where the church will end up, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are to grow then, not just to survive in this world of lies, but to grow towards the glory and the reality of the new creation. Now, that's the purpose for ministry. And so every Christian is involved and called upon to engage in building up the church. And Paul uses this analogy of the body, which we'll come and think more about uh, tomorrow morning. Every part doing its work, so the body grows. I hope that much is, is clear, the, the what of ministry, the, the why and the how. I want to spend the rest of this time uh, this morning thinking about um, how this would shape the way you engage in the life of Christchurch. So what does this look like on the ground in, in practice? Particularly, I want to think about how this challenges what, what we could call a consumer mentality towards church, which I think is so insidious and so dangerous, so easy to slip into. And we're very used, aren't we, to having a consumer mentality to, to most things in life. Because very often we are consumers. It would be easy to have a, a consumer mentality to, to a weekend like this. To think, well, if you've paid your money, you expect a certain amount of bacon at, at breakfast or a certain amount of quiet at night, whatever it might be. Um, and, so, so, and, and in certain circumstances, it's okay to have a consumer mentality. Um, but it's, very, it's therefore very natural for that to drift into the way we think about church. Let me suggest what that might look like when we start thinking about church as consumers. It will shape the way we participate in the life of the church. Every Sunday, even, each of us has to ask the question, am I going to go to church, even? At that very basic level. And let's be honest, I know it can be pretty hard to drag yourself to church. Uh, some weeks you think of those dark, wintry Sunday nights, which are almost behind us now, but it's not always a, a, an easy question. I'm often grateful that my job requires me to be at church because I know how easily I could persuade myself that oh, there are better things I could do with my time uh, today. But the consumer att attitude makes me answer that question on the basis of, well, do I feel like it? Will it serve me? Will it give me something more valuable than staying at home and doing the chores in advance of the week or, or whatever else we might want to do? Uh, you might even look at the, a sermon series and think, well, I'm not particularly enjoying this sermon series, so I think I'm going to sit it out for the next uh, couple of weeks. I'm not getting much out of it. 
Ephesians 4 challenges that, doesn't it? It encourages us to think, instead, I, I need to go to church, not just for my own sake, but for the sake of everyone else who is there. When I say I have a job that requires me to be at church, Ephesians 4 would be much broader than that and say we all have a job that requires us uh, to be at church. Each of us can say I have been equipped to some extent to do the work of ministry, to build up my brothers and sisters. They, they need me and I need to be equipped more uh, to do more of it. So come to church, come to your Bible study group and, and come to work. There is work for you to do um, at church. This is a, an all hands on deck picture uh, of ministry. And thank you for coming on this weekend away. Again, that's not an easy decision to make. Uh, there are costs involved in, in being here. There are other things you could have done with your weekend. But it is good for everyone else that you are here you know, so that you can do your particular work of building up your brothers and sisters around you. And the great thing about a weekend away is you have more time and space to do that than on a, kind of, on, on a Sunday. Uh, weekends away often feel like the equivalent of about four months worth of Sundays, don't they, in terms of how much you can actually get to know each other, um, share life with one another and, and so on. So it's a great uh, opportunity for us all to get on with this work of ministry. So the, the consumer mentality will shape whether and why we even turn up to things. It will also shape our mindset while we're there. Uh, so I know it's, it's easy to walk out of church thinking, I didn't get much out of that. Uh, I guess we've all been there. Uh, and that is a kind of consumer mentality, isn't it? Uh, I'm thinking like a customer, as though it's a concert. Uh, there are performers at the front and we, we are the audience. And if we don't like the performance very much, you think oh, it wasn't really worth being there at all. But according to Ephesians 4, thinking in terms of performer and audience like that is, is way off the mark. Now, Bible teaching is there to equip all of us to, to, to be using the truth to build each other up. So there are two reasons why we listen, I guess, to sermons. There may be others, but first we listen for, for ourselves to be encouraged and challenged. But here's something radical. We have a responsibility to listen well so that we are acquiring truth tools that we can use for the benefit of everyone else. Um, so you're absorbing truth that you can then use for the benefit of others. I know this may sound like a guilt trip, I don't want it to be. I hope actually this is an exciting vision of how church works. Much more exciting vision of, of what Sundays are for and what church, how church life works. A more persuasive reason, I think, for getting off the sofa on a Sunday or whatever it means, and, and, or going to a small group uh, midweek. Come to be equipped. Come to do ministry. And so the consumer mentality means I leave church feeling I haven't been very well served. Uh, church might have been disappointing in all sorts of ways, and, and sometimes it, it will be. Um, people, we are, are fallen people, nothing's perfect. But, but the Ephesians 4 mindset means I leave church thinking about different kinds of things, Asking myself, perhaps, did I manage to do uh, much ministry this evening? Or at least leaving church having a better idea of where I need to do ministry uh, in the weeks and months ahead. From the conversations I had, from how people seem, uh, seem to be. And you leave church knowing that actually you, your care and attention and love and, and your knowledge of God's truth is needed in certain situations. And you get a better picture of your ministry uh, for the next week or whatever. 
That is Jesus' plan for how we grow. It's very kind of down-to-earth, isn't it? And kind of gritty. It's, the, it's real life. That's God's vision for how Christchurch will mature uh, in his faith. Not just through people up front for, for an hour a week or so. That will always have its limitations, won't it, if you think about it? Um, I was thinking how much more effective a sermon would be if people kind of get hold of uh, Ephesians 4 ideas. Because a, a preacher up front can do some general application of truth, can't, it? can't, can't we? we? We could, you know, here's a truth that we learn, we could think, what might this look like in life? But it's always going to be general. Partly because preachers don't know everyone well enough to apply to each person individually. Partly because we don't have time. It would take, take ages to go through each person and say, this is what this means for you in, in your life. Um, but if, if people are listening and thinking in, in Ephesians 4 terms, how much more powerful uh, does that become? Because then those truths are going out to, to, uh, to the church family generally. And then each of us uh, personally is thinking about the people that we know best and helping to apply it to them. And suddenly that sermon, which hasn't changed in terms of what was said at the front, becomes much more effective because the church as a whole are taking it and applying it to their friends, their brothers and sisters uh, in specific, appropriate, uh, kind of deeper ways. Um, I hope that is, is a, an exciting vision for how sermons might become more effective as well. An all-hands-on-deck ministry. Uh, the other major way in which I hope this will shape our thinking is this idea of purpose. Uh, the, the idea that there's a purpose to our ministry, a goal to our ministry uh, with one another. So if this idea of everyone engaged in ministry uh, smashes on the one hand the consumer mentality, I think the, the purpose that God gives us smashes the, the going through the motions uh, mentality at church. You know, the sort of church where church life where we happily slip into routines and we just kind of go through it Sunday by Sunday, midweek by midweek, uh, and we're not quite clear what we're trying to achieve or, or why we're doing things. The picture we see here is that every church is on a maturity journey uh, and people within our church ought to be maturing individually in their Christian faith as well. And it really matters that they are. Remember the stormy seas. And I'm sure this is happening among you already. Um, it's one of the great thrills for me now, having been at Christchurch Kensington for uh, seven years or so, um, to look back and, and or, or to look around now and see a number of faces who've been with us uh, for quite a long time. Uh, some who arrived as kind of fresh-faced students a few years ago. It's great to have one of them among us. Jen <laughs> Ray uh, arrived as a fresh-faced student. Um, some of them relatively clueless at the time, not uh, present company, excluded. <laughs> um, <laughs> Some of them causing uh, people real headaches um, uh, at the time. But now, thanks to many years of people speaking the truth in love to them, in many ways, completely different people, uh, real partners in ministry, actually, lives reshaped around the gospel and a Christian maturity that you can see growing uh, year after year. People who are now less and less likely to be tossed to and fro by every wind of lies that will come their way. And I'm sure you could say the same here. I'm sure if you looked around the room here, there'd be uh, stories like that. There might be uh, people that caused Andy lots of stress a few years ago who now he gives thanks for as they've grown into real partners uh, in ministry and, and, and so on. It seems to have died down now, but a, a few weeks ago there was that trend on social media, wasn't it? The 10-year the challenge. 
Um, pretty simple, I think you put two photos of yourself uh, side by side, one from 10 years ago, one from the present day. Largely depressing exercise, <laughs> I thought. Um, but potentially encouraging when you uh, do it in a church context. Um, for our church, that involved a, an empty building uh, 10 years ago uh, versus um, no, a, a reasonable crowd of uh, people. I'm not even sure how old Christchurch Ellsfield is. About 10 years. So that would be quite a, a, an encouraging thing, wouldn't it? The 10 year challenge as a, as a church. And within that, there'd be stories of lives changed, of growth in maturity and understanding, uh, different priorities taken on board. Um, lots to give thanks for, I'm sure. But even though it's happening and has been happening, I, I think we need to remember that that is still the aim. Uh, we are still looking to grow. We need to beware remaining in infancy. And beware thinking that the person you are today, the Christian man or woman you are today, is the Christian man or woman that you will always be. Uh, Beware just coasting along um, and not growing, turning up, going through the motions, but not actually making progress. And instead, be ambitious for one another. Uh, So have this ambitious vision for how your brothers and sisters might uh, grow and might change, and for yourself as well. So never mind where we were 10 years ago. Where might we be in in 10 years' time? Further down the line as as a church family or you as as an individual? If we grasp this vision of Ephesians 4 with every saint equipped to do the work of ministry, building one another up, who knows what God might do among this crowd in in 10 more years? There will be lots of implications of that which we might want to chat about through the weekend. Well, we began this morning thinking about God's big, eternal, cosmic plan, that mind-stretching idea that the church is the body of Christ, his fullness. Ephesians 4 shows us that that plan, we are heading towards that, that extraordinary goal in surprisingly unimpressive real-life ways. Local churches uh, who've been given people who teach God's words so that as we care for one another, and encourage one another in the truth. Everyone is being built up. We are, in, we are advancing that cosmic plan. Indeed, we are doing nothing less than hastening the return of Christ, who will come to gather his people when we are ready. Shall I pray that that will be true for us? Our Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word powerful enough to raise a people, to call a people, to mature a people. Thank you for the many ways in which you equip your church to be fed with your truth. And we pray that you would help us each individually uh, to, uh, to capture this vision of how churches work and how churches grow. I pray that every individual here and, and those who weren't able to be here this weekend would Uh, be more and more engaged in the work of ministry, that there would be those building each other up, uh, speaking the truth in love, so that uh, the local church would be growing in maturity, even as your universal church is maturing to the stature of mature manhood. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all very much. Um, I just wanted, as we've got a bit of time.